Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Good morning. Um, I apologize for the way I sound this morning. We got hit with the flu, and uh, it takes your voice. Um, We're all feeling great, but it makes me sound like this all the time. So um, um, hopefully and prayerfully that I will get through and then do the second one and then go home and take a nap. So that's the plan right now. Uh, So I'm just going to pray to give this up to God. God, I need your help and I need your strength um, through my voice and through my words. I need your protection and I pray for our hearts to receive what you have that we can rest strong on your word for us this morning, that we can take and receive and live and who you say and what you say. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, so before the flu, um, I was sleeping on Harvey's floor. He had the stomach bug and I was praying about this sermon and figuring out what I wanted to say or what, what God wanted me to say. And Weariness came to mind, which was very fitting. The floor was um, was very uncomfortable. Um, And I thought about the song, um, Oh Holy Night, and the line in the song that says, The weary world rejoices. Um, But when I was thinking about it, that particular line stuck out because I oftentimes just sing or think the weary world. Not rejoicing, just weariness, just done, uh, burden. Um, just overcome with grief. Just, just, that's just it. That's just where I'm at. I don't really have the heart to continue. I just kind of sit where I'm at. Um, and the definition of weariness, besides being extreme tired or fatigue, says the reluctance to see or experience any more of something. Just reaching the end. Um, growing up in my house, I have two younger brothers, and they had lots of male friends, and they would come over to our house, and we went through a big period of time where we watched a lot of UFC fighting, um, which is a combination of wrestling and um, boxing and mixed martial arts, and you're in an octagon-shaped ring, and you just go at it until that's it. You just do basically whatever, Um, and it's either two guys against each other or two girls with a ref in a ring, Um, but the point is that they fight until they reach the point that they can't take it anymore and they tap the mat and it's done. The ref calls it and that round is over or the fight is over and they've had enough. And that's where I find myself is wanting to hit the mat and somebody to be like, okay, you're done. Like you can move on to the next thing. But that's not the reality of where I live a lot of time or where I'm sure a lot of you um, live. Life's not fair in the sense that we get a break. Um, We reach the point either personally or what we view in the world around us, what our neighbors, our friends are experiencing, what our kids are experiencing. Um, I've said multiple times in the last few weeks through different situations to my friends, I just want to crawl in a cave and hide. That's really what I'd like to do and hope that it passes me by. But life keeps going and I still have to parent or I still have to um, take care of my family or do whatever it is and I don't get to crawl in a cave. Um, and it feels like I'm getting hit 
and getting hit again. And even when I'm down, I'm getting hit. Someone's getting sick or um, death or whatever it is. Uh, bad attitudes. I don't know. Uh, but God didn't intend for my life just to be weariness. I don't think that's what he intended for us to be. He says that it will be hard, but he says, take heart. He has a promise that he's there. And so I'm in, in my praying and my preparing, I'm like, okay, how do I get to that point where I can sing the second part of that line that says rejoicing? Um, how, can I, how can I get there? I need that hope. It's vital. Um, so this morning, we're going to go back in the Old Testament, and we're going to go to Habakkuk. I know that's a little bit opposite of Christ's birth, but I really believe this morning that this is important to see where we're at and then really what Christ came to do for us as we prepare for um, the Christmas holiday and Christ's birth next week. Um, and Habakkuk struggled, I think, with a lot of the same things that we do of why does it seem like God just allows evil to come? Why does evil succeed? Why is there no justice? Why is there no end? What are you doing? How come we cannot get ahead? Um, I said to my husband, I was like, I feel like we take a step forward and 15 steps backwards at times in our lives. Um, so in Habakkuk, it's about um, five books before the New Testament, small books. Um, so you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to give you some backstory. Um, Habakkuk was a prophet, and he lived um, in um, the time that Israel's really starting to come apart. He lived in the southern part of Israel. Um, they're not a people that follow after God at this point. Um, they're corrupt. They're following their own ways. We've and In the Old Testament, they go through this like cadence of coming to Christ, making idols, um, doing it their own way, and then falling flat on their face, God rescuing them. And so we've really seen this now terrible kind of turn for Israel where they've just fully turned away from God. Um, and Habakkuk um, is a lover and a follower of Christ. He's rooted in the traditions of Israel. He's a, a law follower, but he also um, has the relationship as well. And this book is a little bit different than the other prophets who wrote during this time, because this is almost like we're reading a journal entry or a few journal entries from Habakkuk. It's a prayer, um, almost a letter to God and a conversation back and forth. So it gives us a little bit of different insight. Um, it's not like the other... Um, writers, the other prophets, it's letters addressed to Israel, and this one is addressed to God. Um, and um, Habakkuk is reaching the same point of why God, how come you won't intervene, what are you doing, what is going on? Um, and so the book is broken into about three parts um, and several groups of laments, much like a psalm. So the psalmist wrote a lot of grieving, processing, and then a sort of praise, and we're going to see that this, this morning with Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Um, so beginning in chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 2, Habakkuk launches this complaint towards God. He's saying he's been calling for help. So in verse 2, it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and righteous so that justice is perverted. 
Sorry. So what Habakkuk is saying is, I'm calling for help. I don't know what to do. Israel is falling apart. Not only are the um, Christian rule givers, lawgivers, they're corrupt, but our justice system isn't isn't holding up again either. Um, and so both sides are just falling apart. Um, there's a lot of um, just bribery and just uh, falling apart in their justice system. And um, what is good is now corrupt um, and that evil is surrounding Israel. The other thing that's happening here is the Babylonians are getting ready to attack Israel. And so Habakkuk is asking for God um, save Israel because they're corrupt, and also please don't let the Babylonians attack us, where two different sides of attacking are about to happen here, um, and Habakkuk is crying out for help. So God responds in faithfulness to Habakkuk's cry, and he says in uh, verse 5, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and approaches people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They're feared, feared and dreaded people. There's a no, they're, sorry, they are a law to themselves and they promote their honor. Um, it says they mock kings in verse 10 and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building an earthen ramps. They capture them. So, God agrees that the Babylonians are bad, and he says, I'm going to do something. But his response to Habakkuk is interesting because he does not say, I'm going to keep the Babylonians away. In fact, he says, I'm going to use the Babylonians, and I'm going to let them attack the Israelites, and they're going to bring destruction. And so this is not the answer that Habakkuk was hoping for. Don't let this, these mighty, terrible people who have a no regard for human life God is saying, I'm going to let them attack, and I'm going to let them destroy Israel. And Habakkuk is not on board with this at all. Um, he's not happy. Um, so he launches his second complaint in verse 12. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Right? So he hears this response and he cannot believe that this is what God's going to do. He's going to use evil to defeat evil. This is what, this is what God said he's going to do. Babylon is worse than evil. It says that they're going to swallow up those more righteous than themselves. You're going to allow them to kill us these evil people. There's no way, essentially what he's saying is this is, cannot be the way to Israel's sanctification and restoration. This can't be it. This cannot be your plan. Why are you silent, right? And Habakkuk is so against this that he stands in that, the first verse of chapter two. He says, God, you can't, this can't be it. He says, I'm gonna stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts and I'll look to see what he will say to me and what answer I will give to him to this complaint. He's saying, this can't be it and I'm gonna stand here and I'm gonna wait and we're gonna talk about this and we're gonna find some other way to do this because this isn't gonna be it. And I love just for a second, like Habakkuk is close enough with God that he's willing to say like, God, I'm not going anywhere because this can't be it. And I'm gonna stand here and I'm gonna wait and see what you have to say about it. So Habakkuk, um, 
Hang on a second. God is gracious, and he goes, Habakkuk, I'm going to give you a vision of something that's going to happen in the future, and this is going to be good. You want to hear this? You want to write this down? Grab some tablets, and, and let's get to work. So he says, starting in verse 2, it says, the Lord's answer. He replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See the enemy, the Babylonians, are puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So God says, all right, I'm going to give you something, and you're going to write it down, and it's going to happen, but you're going to have to wait for it. And I'm going to tell you what it is. It says it has a perfect appointed time. The enemy's puffed up, but if the righteous people... They're going to live by faithfulness, but you're going to have to wait. You've got to listen to what I'm going to say and trust what I'm going to do. So he's saying, trust, trust these works. And I'm going to tell you something about the, the Babylonians. So God, and I'm going to summarize them. He gives a series of five woes against the Babylonians. And he says, write these down. These are against these people. Um, so the first of them is, woe to anyone who piles up stolen goods. So makes wealth by trickery or um, vanity. They were, um, the Babylonians were known for making the rich richer and the poor poor, um, overtaxing, stealing. Um, the second woe says, woe to anyone who builds his house by unjust gain. So cheating, setting his house up on high, esteeming himself at all costs. Again, these, these two are linked. So lots of che cheating, lots of stealing, um, it was anything that could make you more rich and have more power with money. The third woe against them that God says is woe to those who build a city by bloodshed. So slavery, unfair labor laws, um, overworking with no care for human life. God's very specific about how we should work in the Bible, about how we're to use our time. Work is good and it's of God. He created it in the garden. But the Babylonians are abusing it, and, I'm, and they're, um, again, making the poor and the lower class work triple time to support those to build themselves up high, to destroy cities and rebuild these giant kingdoms. The fourth one um, is a woe against um, addictions, drunk, drunkenness, um, the abuse of sex. It says, give drinks to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they are drunk. So it's a way of... Again, they would get people drunk, have these huge parties, take advantage of them. I'm sure there was like gambling where they would steal money. You could trick people, cheating. Again, it's just getting rich. Um, you know, the, just the abuse and no care for anyone else other than themselves. And then the fifth woe that he gives is, woe to anyone who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up, idolatry. But it goes beyond carved images, right? So we've seen through the first four woes that, their gods are obviously money and power and status. So he's saying, woe to anyone that does this. And this kind of sounds familiar to how we're living right now in our, in our nation and our world. We can see the rise and fall based on what's at the forefront of that person's mind. If it's the good of many or the good of self, right? It brings destruction. And God is saying, woe to anyone who has this type of desire in them. This is what's going to happen. Destruction's going to happen. So 
um, Habakkuk hears this, and we're seeing a short, sort of shift, right? God's made a promise. I'm going to attack, or I'm going to let the Babylonians fall. They're going to attack the Israelites. And so now Habakkuk shifts into a prayer towards God and away from a complaint. And in chapter 3, um, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, and in our time make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Right? So he's saying, come and do it again. And now he speaks of God's power to the next section. Um, he says, the Holy One, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Um, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. So the first thing God, that Habakkuk does in response is he just says, God, you're great. You're amazing. And if this is who you are, then I'm just going to speak of your goodness. And then the next section, what he does is he talks a mix and he prays um, of the past exodus when God saved the Israelites from Pharaoh. And then he speaks of a future exodus when they will be saved from all those who attack them. Um, and he says in verse 13, you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So he's saying, you did this, you will do this. He's speaking truth past truth and future truth. God, you're good. You did this. You will do this. And he's just kind of going in this circle of speaking all these things. And as Habakkuk is doing, he's starting to change. He's starting to realize and remember and place his focus. God is great. God is sovereign in my situation. And so he begins to, to change. And we see this heart shift as we, really, we reach the last part of Habakkuk, which is probably most familiar with us, if, we've, if you've read any of the book. Um, and it says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Um, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invadious. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So Habakkuk comes to this point after all this reflection and he's moved. He's changed, and he's, it enables him to say, God, you are good. Even when my circumstances are this, you are the same, right? He's saying, even if I lose everything, I can stand firm on Christ. I can find a reason to rejoice by remembering who you are. And so I know we kind of went through the, the book a little quickly, but I have like five takeaways or maybe prayer postures that I believe are important to take out of the book. Um, the first is, in this situation, Habakkuk is lost, and he's 
scared. It says in verse two that he called for help. God, I'm calling for help. And he goes to God. So the first important thing is he goes to God. He says, God, I have a relationship with you. Hear me. I'm crying. I'm petitioning. Like, I don't want these things to happen. My people, the people that love you aren't doing that anymore. They don't love you. And we're going to be attacked. And he goes to God. And we even see the honesty when he doesn't enjoy what God says that he's going to do. He still maintains that communication with God. He doesn't quit. He stays with God. The second thing is that what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. So the Babylonians intended to attack and destroy, but God is going to use it for good. So even when we can't see what he's doing, God, don't, God is doing something good through no matter what happens. And just because he allows it to happen does not mean he's just. The Babylonians are going to pay the price for what they've done. We as sinners, we pay the price or, or we, fall, we come to Jesus and we accept him and he pays that price. But God is just. He will make things right. The third thing is we can expect for God to move. God says, wait for it. The revelation will come. God will move. He says, I will move. It's in God's heart to rescue. It's in God's heart to love us and to save us. It's almost like it's in his DNA. He cares for us. We are his kids, right? Dane Ortland says about the Israelites, he says, he is sending what they deserve, but his deepest heart is their merciful restoration. God doesn't want to leave them there. He wants to bring them out. The fourth thing that we, I think is huge in our prayer and for us to remember is that we recall God's goodness in the past and we pray on God's goodness in the future, right? We just went through Revelation a few months back. We know promises, the long-term promises. We have promises that we're reading right now, promises that Jesus spoke on his time on earth. We can flip through and find those. I, I often say to other people and try to remember for myself sometimes that when I'm in a tough situation, what are truths I can stand on? Okay, I can't find anything. Like, what is something true that I can say right now about God, who he says about himself? What does he say about me? What does he say about the other person in this situation? Fighting with my kids, what does God say about my kids? What are the promises that he's spoken over their lives? Because oftentimes in our situations, there's nothing positive to say about the situation itself. But in God, that's where the truth lies. Because if I rely on what I think about myself or my own life, that's unstable. And it changes like every minute. Like how I feel about myself or anything, it's constantly changing. But if my value and the truth that I believe is on the king of kings who never changes, then my value and the strength of my foundation is firm and endless because God is endless and he does not change. And so I need to find, I always like envision, like I'm like looking for a stone or cinder block or like something to f firmly stand my feet on to say like, all right, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna stand on this spot because this is real and this is truth of what God says. And so all this prayer and reflection that Habakkuk has done, and I think it leads us to the hardest thing for us to do which is realize that our situation probably isn't going to change, maybe not right then, but that we can change, that we can come to that place um, to come to Christ. Because the reality of Habakkuk's situation is that it was actually 66 years later 
that the Babylonians fell. So he gave him, God gave him that word and he still had to wait. He didn't even see it happen right then or the next day or the next year. He still had to wait. But he was able to say like, God, I'm going to tread like a deer and I'm going to run quickly and light on my feet because of the truth that you have said, right? That instead he's surrendering his heart and he's come to a place where he truly believes what the Lord says to give him that, that sure footing and to believe that what he's going to do with the Israelites has purpose. I'm going to read a, a, um, a quote from a study that I had. It's, um, the book is actually called Extravagant Mercy by M. Craig Barnes. And it says, let me take a step first. It says, the Bible often portrays the grace of God as a thin stream of refreshing water that perseveres in a desert land. The only way our parched souls can survive in a spiritually desolate society is to stay close to that stream. That is why we come to worship, we read our Bibles, we serve others, and we pray without ceasing throughout the day. It's all a way of drinking in the grace that keeps us spiritually alive. The more time we spend by that stream, the more deeply our lives become rooted in God. Those roots are pretty important because sometimes we get more grace than we want. It doesn't happen often, but when the storms come, the thin stream can suddenly turn into a raging river, washing away everything that is not firmly planted. We never want to get too sentimental about grace. While most days it is God's gentle refreshment to our souls, some days it comes as a terrifying reminder that our lives are out of control. On the stormy days, we may wonder if it was such a good idea to live so close to the stream. We may even God wish that God would just leave us alone. Yet if the torrent sweeps away the things that are not spiritually rooted, then even that is a grace. Remember, the point of God's grace is not to be nice to us. Grace does what we cannot do for ourselves. It carries us home to God, sometimes on a gentle stream, sometimes on a raging river, yet always back to God. The Babylonians were that raging river that the Israelites needed to wash away all the stuff that they had built up and to bring them back to God. They needed, they were past the point of a gentle stream. They were no longer coming to God and they needed, they needed that big grace to come into their lives and cleanse and bring restoration, right? And I think that this is, this is where we find ourselves that the only way we're going to actually be able to, to receive and see and accept what he's doing is we have to see God, believe in his sovereignty and say, this is, this is you, God. This is your will, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's more than I wanted or less than I wanted. This is you. And only when we come to that place of surrender is where we're actually going to be able to keep singing and say, well, I can rejoice. Not because I have a great situation now or I've been given everything I've wanted or um, whatever's happening has changed but because I'm remembering the truth of your word I'm remembering the truth of your promises and I'm holding on to the promise of your grace that says it's sufficient that says it's enough and that's where I have to find my surrender I'm going to read uh, one last poem and then I'll close um, it's by um, William Cowper, and it's called Light Shining Out of Darkness. I think it summarizes what we've gone over this morning. It says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, 
and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs, and he works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own, God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. And so to close this morning, um, let me just pray. God, I thank you for the hope that only you can bring, the real and lasting hope. I thank you that you sent your son, and even though it made no sense at the time to those witnessing your death on the cross, that you had bigger plans in mind, that you had a bigger love in mind than what we could imagine or that we could hope for. I thank you that you, that the cross, you're willing to go to the cross, Lord, that there's not a place that you wouldn't go for us, that you'll reach all the way into death for us. Lord, as far as we can see, you are there. I pray, God, that you would move my heart and our hearts into a place of surrender to come and find you sovereign, to come at your feet and worship you and thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray that we would honor you in the seasons that we're in, that we would bring our complaints and our worries and our fears, that we wouldn't try to shoulder these things on our own, you didn't call us to do it by ourselves. You called us to be like Habakkuk and come and stand ready and eager and waiting for you to respond. May we not give up hoping and praying and who you say you are and what you say. May you give us truths today to stand on and truths tomorrow and the next day and the next day. May we come back every moment if we have to. Like the Israelites came for manna, may we keep coming back for more, knowing that you will give us exactly what we need when we need it. We pray that you keep being our sufficient and awesome God and be real and present in our lives and in this season. May we honor you through the celebration of your son's birth. We love you. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.